Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 38, and we're going to get back in our study in Genesis today, and we're going to be in uh, the story of Judah. Uh, uh, we're going to finish that up. We had started it a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to try to finish it today. Uh, but first, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and, and then we'll get into our Bible study. Father, we just come to you today, and we're just so grateful to you. We do praise you for for all you've done for us, Lord, and, and, and all you're doing for us now. It might not look like it to us, Lord, that, that things are, are, are working out for our good, but, Lord, that's what your word promises. Lord, that you're the God who takes uh, bad situations and makes the best out of those situations. We're going to see that in Judah's life today as we look at this amazing transformation that takes place in his character, Lord, but not only that, how you work out these circumstances so that that his name goes down in history forever as, as being one of those 12 tribes through which our Savior came. The tribe, Lord, of Judah uh, is, is the tribe from which you came from, Lord. And so we're so grateful uh, for how you work in, in, in terrible situations. And, and, Lord, if you work in Judah's life like that, we can be sure that you're going to work in our life like that too. And so, Lord, we ask for, for you to encourage us today through your word, Lord, for you to to change us through your word, and, and Lord, may we bless you by listening and being doers of your word and not only hearers of your word. Lord, I just ask for you to, to take charge of this service, Lord, wherever everybody, everyone's at, Lord, I, I ask you to bless them, and, and uh, Lord, that, that uh, your word comes forth uh, as you would have it to come forth, and we just ask that in Christ's name I pray, amen. I don't think anyone would argue at this point, that uh, the coronavirus has put us all in a very difficult situation, in a pretty bad situation. I mean, you look at the numbers, uh, over 700,000 have the virus in the United States alone. Uh, we're approaching 40,000 deaths as of today. Uh, and worse than what the virus is doing to us is what we're doing to ourselves uh, to, to fight the spread of this virus. I mean, you look at our economy, and our economy is in, in shambles. Uh, the schools are closed. And, and I think the thing that disturbs me most is that, that, that during this virus, we can see our liberties that were given to us by you, Lord, and through uh, our founding fathers. We see these liberties eroding away right before our very eyes. I mean, the very fact that I'm standing here and speaking to a camera today instead of a congregation uh, has something to say about our liberties. And, I, and, and I've got mixed emotions about this. I understand, you know, why we're not meeting. I understand it's for safety purposes and we don't want to spread this virus. But, but you know, I trust the Lord. I believe, I believe that, that the Lord's going to take care of me through this virus. And if I get the virus, it, it's, I'm going to get it one way or the other anyway. But not everybody believes that and understand that. Uh, so we're not meeting, but... But some people have chosen to meet. Some pastors have chosen to meet. Uh, Pastor Jack Roberts uh, from Maryville, Kentucky, the Baptist, one of the big Baptist churches there, decided to defy the stay-at-home order in Kentucky. And uh, he, he just said, man, i got to get out. We've got to have at least an Easter service. And so they had an Easter service. And when he got to the, to the, to the church, uh, he was surprised to see that somebody had poured nails at the two entrances of the parking lot. And that there were police uh, all over the place. And they were taking everybody's driver's license and, and they were going to force them on, into, into a 14-day uh, strict 
quarantine uh, once they went back home. But I loved his response. Listen to what he said about all of it. He says, I was sad to see when we drove to the house of God today that someone decided it would be nice if we all had flat tires. And here were these police cars everywhere. Uh, You need me to stop a minute, David? Are we okay? Okay. Let's let me let me read that again. Uh, anyways, let me read the pastor's response. It, he said it was sad to see when we drove to the house of God today that someone decided it would be nice if we all had flat tires, and it was sad to see all of these police cars uh, 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 taking license plates. He says of all places to use these taxes, tactics to keep keep you from is your church on Easter Sunday. He said maybe these policemen should have been down at the liquor store to keep the people from killing someone on the way home. They could have put them at the abortion center, and certainly they would have saved some lives. They could have been in downtown Louisville and stopped some of the 60 shootings we averaged there each day. But no, they were here. They were here harassing us. And, and uh, he, he makes a good point there. Uh, and, and this is happening all over our country. Our tr- civil rights are being trampled upon uh, and, and uh, that's, I think that's a really dangerous thing, a really dangerous thing for our nation. And we're going to see how we come out of this. I know the Lord's in control. And, and, uh, but we're, you, if you think about it, we're living in a really bad, bad situation. And most of us are trying to make the very best of this bad situation. Uh, and, but if it goes on much longer, I've got to tell you, it's going to be almost impossible to make something good out of this bad situation. But here's the good news I want you to see today, and I, I think you know this already. Uh, Jesus said, uh, with men, some, certain, certain things aren't possible, but with God, all things are possible. And God specializes in taking impossible situations, bad situations, and making the very best out of those situations. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in chapter 38 of Genesis is he's going to make the very best of a bad situation, a bad situation that Judas really put himself in. He put himself into that situation when he helped his brothers uh, sell Joseph off to slavery. And he felt a lot of guilt for that. And so he uh, packed up his stuff. He saw his father crying every day. Jacob was crying every day and he didn't want to feel guilty like that, so he took his inheritance and he moved a few miles over to Adullam. And uh, there he took a wife, uh, and a Canaanite wife, uh, the daughter of Shua, and he had three sons in rapid succession. He wanted children, and, and then she cut him off, and then for 20 years he doesn't have any more children. So after he had these th- three sons, he wanted some more children around the house, and so he took a wife for his oldest son, Ur, named Tamar, but Tamar wouldn't have sexual relations with, uh, with uh, I mean, Ur wouldn't have sexual relations with Tamar, and so God killed him. And then, based upon the Leveret tradition or law, uh, the, uh, Tamar was given to, to the younger brother, next youngest brother, to marry, and he married her, and he had sexual relationships with her, but he spilled his seed on the ground. Now, I'm, I'm quoting from the Bible here. I'm not just making this up. He spilled his seed on the ground, and God got mad about that, and God was angry about that. Let me put it that way. And God killed uh, Onan, the, 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 the younger brother. And the, the very youngest brother was uh, Shelah. And Judah said, you know, I don't really trust this situation uh, with, with uh, 
Tamar, and if I give Sheila to Tamar, which would have been the next right thing to do because of the Leveret tradition, uh, he would have given, her, given Tamar to, to Sheila, uh, but he was too young. And so what he told her, he said, look, wait, you, I'm going to send you home to your father, and you wait until he gets a little bit older, and then uh, I'm going to give uh, my youngest son Sheila to you. But he had no intention of ever doing that. We'll see that in just a minute. So all of this makes for a really, really bad situation. Uh, a situation that, that you've got to wonder, what can do- God do in an impossible situation like this? And so uh, uh, here's Judah. He's, he's in a bad situation. And he does, I, don't think he has a, I think he has a relationship with the Lord, but not a really strong relationship. But so, so he, he's really depressed. Uh, he wants grandchildren or more children. He doesn't have a wife. He, uh, after 20 years, his wife dies. And, and so uh, he hears about the, the sheep herders over in Timnah are, 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 are shearing their sheep. And uh, so usually that means there would be a big party. And so Judah decides to join them uh, along with his friend Hera, the Adulamite. And that's where we're going to pick up in, in verse number 13. Verse number 13. And it was told to Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took of her widow's garments, covered herself in a veil, and wrapped herself and sat in the open place, which was on the way. She sat there at the gate of Timnah. And that's where the prostitutes usually sat. For she saw that Sheila was grown and that she was not that she was not given to him as a wife. And so here's Sheila, he's grown up, and Judah doesn't keep his word. He doesn't give uh, Sheila to Tamar for a husband. And uh, so she realizes at this point that within the bounds of marriage, she's probably not going to have any children. I mean, she was getting older, and and, uh, the window of opportunity to have children was fast, rapidly closing. and, And so... Uh, she's got to do something outside the boundaries of marriage in order to have a child. And so she has a plan. It's kind of a crazy plan, and it's kind of a far-fetched plan, but it's actually going to work. What she's going to do is dress up as a prostitute. Uh, she's going to go down to the gate of Timnah, and she hears that Judah's coming, and she's going to hope that Judah picks her out to have sex with her. I know this is kind of R-rated here, but bear with me. And uh, then... Uh, uh, she's going to get pregnant, and then she will uh, have a child through the line of Judah, which is what she is wanting. And so uh, we pick up now in, in verse number 15. When Judah saw her, sure enough, he thought she was a harlot because she had her face covered. Then he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come into you, for he did not know that uh, she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come in to me? And he said, I will send you a young goat for the flock. Now, that's a pretty good price uh, to pay for a prostitute. He gets, she's going to get a, a, a goat. She's not interested in the goat, though. She's not interested in any money. She's interested in, in getting pregnant through Judah. So she said, will you give me a pledge? Now, this really works out good for her. I'm surprised Judah agreed to this. But, but she says, will you give me a pledge till?" Till, I, till you send it. Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet, your signet ring, uh, 
uh, your cord, which was a certain color that marked the tribe and marked the, marked the family that he was from, and your staff, which had the tribal uh, carvings on it, that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her. Really surprisingly here, he gives them to her, and he went into her, and sure enough, she conceived by him. So, again, she's not concerned about getting paid here. She's concerned about getting pregnant and having a son through the line of Judah. And her plan worked out better than she ever could have thought it would have worked out because she asked for a pledge, and what does Judah do? He gives her his identity papers. Basically, that's what uh, the, the signet ring and the court and the staff were. They marked his, they were his identity cards. And uh, in this moment of passion, he's, he's wanting to have sex with her so bad, uh, he, he gives it to her, uh, the, the staff and the, the cord and the, uh, the signet ring, and he goes into her, and sure enough, she gets pregnant. And he's been drinking, and he passes out, and then we pick up in verse number 14. I'm, I'm sorry, verse number 19. So she arose and went away. And with her, she took the signet ring and the cord and the staff, and she laid aside her veil and put on her garments of her widowhood. And Judah awoke. Now, now, Judah wakes up, and he immediately realizes that he's in a bad situation, a really bad situation. He's had sexual relationships with a prostitute, and he's given her his identity. I mean, she, basically, she's stolen his identity. She's gone and taken it away. And, and uh, he's wondering, what in the world does she want with my identity? I mean, is she going to uh, tell other people about what happened and then bl- or, or blackmail me? And, and so I, she won't tell about what happened. Is she going to go make some kind of shady business deal and use my signet ring uh, to, to seal the deal? I mean, he had no idea about what she was going to do. And so, so you can understand, man, he, he's really troubled about all of this because he doesn't, he, you know, he's kind of put in a really bad place. Uh, and, and then in verse number 19, so she arose and went away. Not, I'm sorry, verse number 21. Then he asked the man of that place, saying, let me go back. And Judah said to the, sent the young goat uh, by the hand of his friend Hera, the Adulamite. To, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he did not find her. Then he asked the man of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. I mean, a harlot doesn't hang out here. Uh, you're wrong about You're mistaken about that. So Hera returns back to Judah, and he said to him, He said, I can't find her. Also, the man of this place said that there was no uh, harlot uh, in this place. And so, I mean, I mean, Judah's really troubled at this point. What in the world is she doing with my signet ring and my staff and my cord? And, and, uh, and so he sends her out right away to tr- try to give her the goat and get all of that back, and she's not there. And uh, he can't find her, and they say, hey, we don't know anything about this prostitute. We've never seen her before. And so he realizes that it's going to be really, really difficult to find her. And so then in verse number 23, then Judah said, look, there's really, you know, I don't think there's anything we can do. Let her take them for herself, and, and we'll hope for the best, because if we look for her too hard, we very well might be shamed, for I sent the young goat, and you have not found her, so maybe we better let this sleeping dog lie. 
and hope for the best. And, and it looked like maybe that's what was going to happen because look at the first part of verse 24. And it came to pass uh, about three months later. So, it, so three months passed, uh, and there's no word from this prostitute. She hasn't tried to blackmail Judah. She hasn't even, you know, shown her head, and she hasn't tried to make any kind of business deal like that. And, and he's probably gone and gotten a new signet ring, a new court, and a new staff. And so, so uh, it looks like everything's okay. But it came to pass after three months that Judah was told. Now, this is, to Judah, a totally uh, uh, different situation. He's not even thinking in terms of this being the prostitute. But to Judah, it was, it was told, uh, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. Now watch what Judah does. So Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned. I mean, what a hypocrite. I mean, uh, burn her, burn her. Bring her out and let her be burned for her wicked immorality. You know, Judah was just like his brothers uh, and really a lot like us. Uh, he was good at seeing the speck or, or the the speck in others eyes while ignoring the log in his own eyes uh remember when uh dinah was uh abused by shechem in the town of shechem and uh, remember the brother's reaction i mean we're not going to let this lie we're not going to let what they this is immoral what this young man did and we're not going to let it lie. And so what did they do? They went out and talked the whole town into getting circumcised uh, so the two of them could get married, but they were lying. And then, they, and then they slaughtered a bunch of innocent people. And yet, in their mind, they were doing the moral thing. They saw the immorality of the sex outside of marriage, but they didn't see the immorality of murder. I mean, it, it, Judah was... You know, part of him and his brothers were the ones who sold their own brother into slavery. How immoral is that? And then here is Judah. He has sex with Tamar, uh, who he thinks is a prostitute. And, and, and then he, when he finds out that she's pregnant, he doesn't have any clue it's him that got her pregnant. But when he finds out that she's pregnant, what does he say? He says, burn her alive. I mean, what a hypocr- hypocrite, but... But watch how his hypocrisy is exposed. Look, at, look in verse number 25. It says, when she was brought out, uh, she sent her father-in-law, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. He's the one that got me pregnant. And she said, please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. So, man, Judah, Judah realizes at this point he's in deep trouble. I mean, he certainly recognized the, the signet and the cord and the staff, and probably everybody there did. Uh, but, and, and so a bad situation's gotten even worse for Judah. But, but watch how God makes the best of this situation. This is what we're going to, we're coming in to the, to the end of the race here, and we're going to see how God uh, reacts here. In verse number 26, so, uh, Judah, so Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Sheila, my son, and he never knew her again. Now, you see some flashes of goodness in Judah's character here. Uh, He doesn't lie. I mean, he could have said, 
You know, she stole the staff and the cord and the signet ring from me. And, and I don't think most of those men would have believed him, but in that culture, it was a man's world, and uh, whether they believed him or not, they would have uh, burned her alive, and then they would have swept the matter under the rug, and that, that would have been the end of it. But I, not only does Judah admit his guilt here in, in, in the fact that he got her pregnant, he also admits his guilt in the fact that he uh, didn't honor his agreement that he had made with her to give her to Sheila, his youngest son, uh, so that she could have a child through him. And so, so he's, he's confessing his guilt. And I, I think I know where that comes from. I mean, Judah had a relationship with God. There's no doubt about that. I believe it was a weak relationship. But I've got to tell you something. A weak relationship will get you to heaven. Uh, a strong relationship will get you to heaven a lot easier. But a weak relationship will get you there. If you live by faith in Jesus Christ, uh, it's not the size of your faith that matters. It's who the object of your faith is. I mean, Jesus said faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And so, so faith the size of a mustard seed can, can change your character. And I think that's what's happening here. God is changing the character of Judah. I mean, we've already seen a spark of that change when, when, they, when, when they, the brothers were wanting to kill Joseph. And Judah talked them into selling, instead of killing him, into selling uh, Joseph off into slavery. So, so that was kind of a noble thing, even though that was a, a noble act that they were doing. I mean, he did show some kind of character there. And, and, and here's Judah, and he's, he's admitting to his sin with Tamar. He's admitting the fact that he's got her pregnant. He's admitting the fact that he's dishonored the covenant that he had with her. And so that's a, that's a sign that he's got some character. Later on uh, in the story of Joseph, we're going to see uh, Judah even offered to give up his life in order to save his brother Benjamin. Now, that really takes some character. And so, so uh, Judah, Judah is, is being changed by the Lord. One of the ways that the Lord makes the best of a bad situation is that he takes our bad situations and uses those situations to change us for the better. Uh, I mean, Judah's a better man because of all these things that have happened to him. He's turning into, actually into a man of God. He's actually the forefather, one of the forefathers of Christ himself. And so, so, so God is changing him. I mean, the Bible is full of stories where, where God has changed people for the better. He's taken bad situations and made the very best of them as he changed them for the better. I mean, look at Abram. You remember Abram. I mean, he, he went down to Egypt and, and got himself in a bad situation. And he was uh, willing to give his wife up to Pharaoh and lied and said she was his sister, even though she was his half-sister. But he was in a really bad situation. God got him out of that situation. And then, and then later on, what did Abram do? He got tired of waiting on, on the promised child. And so him and Sarah got together, and Sarah gave him uh, his handmaid, Hagar, and, and uh, he had a son called Ishmael. That was a really bad situation. But all of that happened so that Abram could become Abraham, so that Abram's father could become the father of nations. God was changing him through all of those bad situations. You look at Jacob. I mean, Jacob, you know, deceived his brother Esau, and he was kicked out of, uh, had to, he wasn't kicked out, but he had to leave home in order to save his life. And, and he was in a bad situation. 
And it only got worse as he went to old Uncle Laban and he served Uncle Laban for 20 years in a really, really bad situation. Then he just, God told him he could go back home and he went back home and his brother Esau was there waiting on him with 400 men. It was as if he was going to kill him. He was in a really bad, bad situation. But God took that bad, bad situation and he changed Jacob from Jacob heel catcher to Israel, prince with God. I, you see it over in the New Testament. I mean, look at Peter. Peter was, was, was always getting himself in a difficult situation. You remember when Jesus asked the disciples, uh, who, who do you think that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and uh, Jesus said to Peter, blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood is not revealed to you, this to you, but the spirit of God who is in heaven. And, 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 and boy, everything was looking good for Peter. But he, watch how he puts himself in a bad situation. He, he, uh, Jesus then says, I'm about to be, uh, go to Jerusalem. I'm about to be turned over to the Jews, then turned over to the Romans. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And Peter said, this, we're not going to let this happen. I'm not going to let this happen. This will never happen to you, Lord. And what did the Lord say to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. I don't think anything's been, uh, uh, anybody's been called a worse name than that in their life, but here was Peter by the Lord himself being called Satan because Satan was speaking through him. Uh, how t- what a bad situation that was. And then you remember on the night that, that uh, Jesus was, was betrayed, how Peter uh, promised that the Lord said, you're all going to be scattered like sheep. And Peter said, not me, Lord. I'll never be scattered. And then just later, and, and, and Jesus said, oh, not only will you be scattered, you, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows and and sure enough later that night uh, when Jesus was being tried there at Caiaphas's house uh, Peter denied the Lord and and three times and then he went out and he wept bitterly and uh, uh, but all of that was a bad situation it was a bad situation that that uh, that Peter was put in several bad situations that he put himself in but God made the best of that situation, and he took Peter, the little stone, and turned him to Cephas, the rock, and uh, one of the great disciples. And, and, and that's what God does for us. God allows us. I mean, he even puts us in really bad situations. But he's going to make the best of those situations because he's molding us, and he's shaping us, and he's, he's molding us into little Christ. Uh, I mean, we're not gods, but we're going to be like Christ. When we see him, we'll be like him. Uh, And it's a slow process, and it's a painful process. I mean, we're going through some tough, very, very difficult times right now. But I'll tell you right now, if you're a child of God, you're exactly where God wants you to be, and you're going through what God wants you to go through. And it's a bad, bad situation, but God's going to make the best of that bad, bad situation. But it's a slow, slow process. Paul tells us in Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the end. But, but sometimes that's a long time before that end comes. And, and, and you look at this coronavirus, and, and I, it's caused us a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. Uh, but one thing you can be sure of, God will use it to shape us into the kind of people he wants us to be. Uh, that's what he's doing. He's shaping us to, into sons and daughters of God, so that when we see him, we will be like him. And i got to tell you, I personally don't think it's that long before we see him. It's certainly not for me. But for most of us, I don't think it's very long before we see him. And when we see him, he wants us to be like him. And so I think there's a lot of shaping going on right now 
to get us ready for that day when we do see him. Then go back to the text and look at the last part of verse 26. And it says, and he never knew her again. Now, he certainly had a friendly relationship with her, I think. But he never had, this is saying he never had sex with Tamar again. Judah never had sex with Tamar again. I believe that more than likely, Judah did take care of Tamar. He provided her with the financial means to raise those two sons. But he, you know, a lot of people, are not a lot of people, some people think that they got married. I don't think so. And that really makes the, the story even stranger because the two sons that are born here by Judah through Tamar, we're going to see in a minute, are actually in the line of Jesus Christ. And they are products of an illegitimate relationship. I mean, it's, you see, just that in itself shows you how God can take a bad situation and make the very best of it. All right, now, let's pick up uh, back in, let's see, where did I leave off? Do Verse number 27. Okay, let's go back to 27. It said, now it came to pass at that time, at that time for giving birth. So uh, six months passed. Remember, it was three months when Judah found out she was pregnant uh, and said, burn her. Uh, now six more months had passed, and uh, she's, about, she's by herself with a midwife. Uh, Judah might have been there. We don't know. But anyway, now it came to pass at the time of, for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so, and so it was when she was giving birth that one of the twins put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on the head, hand, saying, this one came out first. I mean, this kind of reminds you of Esau and Jacob, how they wrestled in the womb to, to see who would be the firstborn. And Esau ended up, the, ended up being the firstborn. But in God's eyes, it was Jacob who was the firstborn, and he was the one who inherited the right. But, but these, these twins are, are fighting amongst themselves to see who's the firstborn. And here's old... Uh, uh, Zara, who comes, who puts his hand out first, and uh, uh, what does the midwife do? She puts the scarlet thread on it on his hand, which which uh, uh, was symbolic of of the fact that he was the firstborn, that that uh, he inherited all the rights of the firstborn. Now, there's something I think there's a much deeper meaning in that scarlet thread, because that's the thread of blood, the thread of royalty that runs through the line of Jesus Christ. And both Zerah and Perez are in the line of Jesus Christ. The line perpetuates through Perez, but Zerah's in that line too. So there's nothing wrong with him having the scarlet thread placed upon his hand. And so uh, then in verse number 29, it says, Then it happened, as he drew back his hand, that his brother came out unexpectedly, his brother Perez. And she said, How did you break through? And so she they named him Breakthrough or Perez. That's what the name Perez means. And she says, this victory or this breach be upon you because you made it out first. Therefore, his name was called Perez, which means Breakthrough. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zara, uh, which means brightness or dawning. And so here comes Perez. Uh, Zara, here, first of all comes Perez, and you talk about a breakthrough. I mean, he made a breakthrough. It looked like Zara was going to come out first, but but uh, he made a breakthrough, and he came and was the firstborn. Now, Perez is a, the epitome of God 
working a breakthrough in a very bad situation. God's good at that. I mean, God was breaking through in, in, uh, in Judah's life when he killed his oldest sons. There was, God was breaking through into history when he killed his oldest sons, Ur and Onan, because they refused to give Tamar a child. Tamar was chosen. I can tell you right now, every name you, we're going to look at here in a minute in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, every name in there was chosen to be in there before the foundation of the world. And so these guys were trying to stop God's plan. And, and you get in the way of God, you're going to get, you, you, it, it's a very dangerous thing to do, I said when we were in this text last time. So, so God was working a breakthrough when, when he actually killed those two boys. Uh, you know, if God didn't care about, you know, who was in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, I mean, he might have let Sheila find a wife, and then uh, he would have carried on the line. But, but Sheila, you know, goes off the picture at this point. It's Perez and, and Zara that, that end up in the line of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so what God did, and, I mean, because he wanted Tamar in that line, he worked within their bad choices and then the bad choices of other people in order to bring Tamar to, into the line of Judah uh, and her son would carry on the line that would go on to David and on to the Messiah. And I just believe there's a great lesson there for us as we, as we finish this up today. Uh, as we uh, face all the circumstances we're having to face uh, during this coronavirus. The lesson is we've got to trust God. Uh, we've got to trust him to make the very best of a very bad situation. I mean, this disease, I can tell you right now, none of us can control the havoc it's going to wreak. But God can control the havoc it's going to wreak. And it's only going to wreak the havoc that God's going to allow it to wreak. Uh, and and uh, that could be some bad things that we're going to have to face. We're already facing some bad things. And, and not only that, people around us, I mean governors and presidents and, and, and uh, all the people that are trying to fix this thing through human means, they're going to make some bad choices along the way that are going to cause us all sorts of trouble. We're going to make, along with our good choices, we're going to make some bad choices that are going to cause us to be in an even worse situation. All of us, you know, are, are like Judah. We're, we're fallen creatures, and, and we, we, we don't live perfect lives, and we're going to make some bad choices. But God's going to use all of that to, for our good. He's going to make the very best of those bad situations if we trust him, just like he did for Judah. And i got to tell you, the way this story ends, it doesn't end here in, in Genesis chapter 38. It actually ends over in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the way the story ends is absolutely miraculous. The fact that, 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 that this character, Judah, would be in the line of Christ. In fact, the, the very tribe from which Christ came from, uh, he's even called, Christ is even called the line of Judah, is, is an absolute miracle of, the, of, of God's work. Uh, in bad situations. And, and so I, what I want to do as we, as we finish up, go with me over to the genealogy of Jesus Christ over in Matthew chapter 1. We'll be done there in Genesis now, so you don't have to hold your place there. But go over to Matthew chapter 1. And look. With me, we'll, we'll, we'll begin there. I guess that's the only place we can begin is at the beginning, uh, in verse number one. Look at what 
what we're told here by Matthew. It says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, it doesn't begin with Adam in in, uh, Matthew's uh, gospel. In Luke's gospel, the genealogy ends with Adam and goes back to, uh, begins with Jesus and goes back to Adam. But uh, here it begins with Abraham. And and look at what it says. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah, now watch the detail here that God puts in this genealogy. Judah, this seemingly bad person who is always in bad situations, begot Perez and Zerah. There they are, right in the very line of Jesus Christ. By who? By Tamar. And then it goes on. It says, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Amenadab, and Amenadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz. And look at, look at who Boaz was born through. Boaz was born through Rahab the harlot. There's another lady who played the harlot and, and ended up at the line of Jesus Christ. You've got two illegitimate sons there, Perez and Zerah. You've got a a, a, a bad guy doing bad things in Judah. And then you got Rahab the harlot. And then Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, the Moabites. The, the, I mean, there are a lot of, not a lot, there are several uh, uh, Gentiles in here, but, but uh, especially the Gentile women. But Ruth and, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And then you come down, and it says in verse, we'll jump down to verse number 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now, you talk about making the best of a bad situation. Jesus' whole genealogy, I mean, you go, I'm not going to, we're not going to study that all today. But his whole genealogy is filled with sinners that were put themselves in bad situation and God turned that into a good situation, such a good situation that they ended up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I mean, go all the way back. In fact, go to, go to Luke chapter 3 and let's look at the genealogy as, we're, as it's given to us there. And it begins with Jesus himself in verse number 23, Luke chapter 3. Verse number 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry at 30 years of age, being supposed to be the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. Now, you come all the way down, and you come really to the beginning of his genealogy. They work back to the beginning, uh, or Luke works back to the beginning. But look, look at where, who it begins with. It begins with Adam, Adam of all people. I mean, did Adam deserve in his own merit to be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Who was Adam? Adam was the one who brought forth sin. He was the one, him and his wife, who brought sin into this world. I mean, sin came through Adam, the first Adam. But here's the good news about Adam. God turned Adam's bad situation into a good situation, and he brought forth eventually the second Adam, Jesus Christ himself. I mean, look a little further into the genealogy down at verse number uh, 36. 
And you got Noah. You think maybe Noah was in a bad situation? Noah was a pretty good guy himself. But you talk about being in a bad situation. Noah was in a bad situation. I mean, a bad situation so bad, the world was so evil that God destroyed all the uh, people on the earth except Noah and his family. And, 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 and so Noah, uh, through Noah, we get the rest of this genealogy that leads us back through Jesus Christ. So here's God, and I'm, I'm not going to go through all of these again, as I said, but here's God, and he's taken one bad situation after the other, and he's turned, making the very best of it, and the very best that he makes is none other than Jesus Christ. Look, if Judah, in the midst of his bad situation, did not have Perez, there would be no David. There would, and if there was no David... There would be no Jesus. And if there was no Jesus, there would be no cross. And if there was no cross, there would be no resurrection. And without the resurrection and without the cross, we would still be in our sins. So, man, way back here in, Judah, in, in Judah's time, in Genesis chapter 38, God is working in a very bad situation and turning it into good. I mean, you see the lesson there? I mean, again, we're, we're not much different from Judah. We, 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 we make bad choices. And the worst times seem to get, I think, sometimes the worst choices we seem to make. But God's still going to take that bad situation, and he's going to make the very best of it. That's the lesson. I mean, if you're going to make it, or I'm going to make it, we're going to make it through these hard times. We're going to make it. But we're going to make it through these hard times with joy and peace. Then, then by faith, we have to believe that God will do the same thing for us that he did for Judah. That, that he'll make the very best of a very bad situation. I was listening to Amir Safardi uh, the other night, and he made a, a, a very interesting point in his uh, update that he was given on, on the Middle East. He said, isn't it interesting that about 85% of the world's people are shut into their homes right now at this very moment? He said, wouldn't it be great if what God is doing, he's put us all in our homes so that he can rapture us out of here and really the world not even know what happened. The world just think we just died of the virus and, and we, we, we're not around anymore. You know, I personally believe the rapture is going to be something the world's not going to understand. It's not going to be all the Christians were raptured, the good people were raptured, and now we're left behind. The, the Christians were raptured, and, and uh, the evil people are left. I mean, it's not going to be that plain. Uh, it, because, because it's really hard to distinguish sometimes between Christians and regular people. I believe that God's going to rapture out the church in a way that the world really doesn't can pinpoint the fact that it was a rapture. Uh, do I believe that this means... This coronavirus and us being shut home in our 
uh, homes right now or shut in in our homes right now? Does, this, does, does that mean that I believe that we're going to be raptured out of here? I don't think so, but it very well could happen. It, it very well could happen. But this I do know. No matter what situation we're in, no matter what happens through this bad situation we're in, God is going to make the very best of it. And he'll do that if by faith we trust him and believe in him and, and trust him to do that. I, you know, actually, I think he'll do that whether we, our faith is strong or whether our faith is weak. I think when you come out of this, when this is all over, whether we're up in heaven, raptured, or whether you're home or you're in a different job or, or the government's changed, whatever's happened, if you give it time, you give it time, and you, you'll look back on this day, of these days when we were in this midst of this coronavirus, and you will say, every Christian will say, God made the very best of a bad situation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that we can trust your goodness, that we can trust you to do good things in, in evil situations, in very bad situations. Lord, that we, that, all, that we can trust your word in Romans when it tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, and, and, and as a church, that's who we are. Father, I ask you to, to strengthen our faith. I ask you, ask you to, to give us the opportunities uh, to share your word during this very difficult time. I ask you to, to use this time to grow us, draw us closer to you to grow us up in our faith, Lord. To, 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 Lord, I just ask that you, you do what, what, what you did for Judah, that you t- use this bad situation and make the very best of it for our lives. And I know you'll do that, Lord, because your word promises you'll do that for your children. Lord, if there's anyone here today who's listening who doesn't know you as their Savior, I ask today, Lord, that you'll... you'll Today will be the day of their salvation. That This difficult situation will be exactly what turns them, uh, convicts them, like Judah's difficult situation convicted him. Lord, that whatever situation they're in, that, Lord, you convict them of, of, of their need for, for, to deal with their sin, to repent of their sin and turn to you. Lord, if they'll just take those simple steps, Father, you'll save them. And, and boy, you're talking about making the very best of a bad situation. Lord, when we're lost and then one day we're saved, what, what a miracle that is. Father, we just thank you that you do that for all of us, all of us who come to you through Jesus Christ and his blood and his cross. Lord, we, we're so grateful to you. And, uh, Lord, even in difficult times, we can be grateful to you because of the promises you've made to us. We just thank you for all of that. It comes through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.